It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We're going to be all over the map with today's show. Coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with Donna Frankart, and she shares uh, uh, stories of uh, from her life as uh, a uh, deputy coroner. Um, she has a new book out called I've Seen Dead People, Diary of a Deputy Coroner. She shares her thoughts with us today and in her book. Uh, coming up at the end of this hour and uh, rolling over into the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk about a new program from the Michigan State Housing Development Authority uh, with um, Director of MISHTA's Home Ownership Division, Mary Townley, in the program offers um, down payment assistance of up to uh, $10,000 for potential home buyers should be uh, interesting. And uh, in the second hour, we'll also talk with uh, Anita Sylvie about her book um, with National Geographic. Um, I guess that's our, uh, our first guest. Tom Sumner program. Uh, yeah, uh, Stuart Pierce here. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. We're live now. Stand by. Okay. 
Welcome to live radio, folks. That's uh, that's our guest this first hour. This is going to be a fascinating conversation, and my guest this hour has a uh, new book, um, simply called uh, Diana, the Voice of Change. He is uh, Stuart Pierce, and he joins me now by phone. Good morning, Stuart. Welcome to the show. Well, hello there. Is it Tom that I'm speaking with? This is indeed, and we are live. Well, how fantastic to meet you, Tom. I hope everything's well this morning. It's, of course, afternoon here in the United Kingdom, but I hope the morning with you is absolutely wonderful. What part of the state are you in? Uh, Michigan. In Michigan. Wow. Well, welcome. Good morning to Michigan. And, and Stuart, um, now... Um because I, because I was live and I had to fumble a little bit getting getting you connected in, I, uh, I I skipped over your introduction a little bit and I wanted to talk about, um, you know your your credentials as a voice coach and and I wanted to talk about your uh, your book uh, which is called Diana the Voice of Change. Um, you're an acclaimed voice coach most of the people i talk to that work with voice um or or our voice coaches are coaching actors and and performers in various accents and and uh, uh colloquialisms and and you know getting regions down and that sort of thing but you do something different you work with politicians and um, people who have a, a public life to find their voice for public speaking. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. I mean, I still work with actors, obviously, but the, you know, the interesting thing about my career was that when I made an organic change from being an actor in, at the end of the 70s, for the first 10 years of my professional career, I was an actor through the 70s. And then I made this organic shift because I was asked, I was requested to take on a certain voice responsibility through the auspices of a very famous voice teacher here in the United Kingdom, who was the, the voice director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, which of course had you know, an international reputation from the, um, from the late 50s onwards to today. And um, what I was asked to do is not only to train young actors for the stage in the classical conservatoire here in London, but also to work with Margaret Thatcher, to be Margaret Thatcher's voice coach. So I'm billed as the man who gave Thatcher her voice, you know, that is, um, you know, of course, my whole repertoire of uh, craft skills were, was exposed in the film The Iron Lady about <laughs> Margaret Thatcher with dear Meryl Streep. And so once you have a, you know, feathers in your cap, like, you know, I was the Margaret Thatcher's voice coach, then lots of other people come along. And so I seem over the years to have specialized in a creative way on helping very powerful women to find their voices and to be successful in the world. Um, I mean by that people, possibly names you wouldn't necessarily know, but the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Benazir Bhutto, Momolam, uh, Damanita Roddick, all the way through to Marianne Williamson, who of course is a fellow country person of yours, and Diana, Princess of Wales. So I worked with Diana through the last two years of her life. But I've always continued working with actors. I mean, you know, for many, for many years, for about 15 years, I was involved in a project here, which was the reconstruction of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. So I was, that's where I get my, my title, The Master of Voice, from which was literally rebuilding the theater that had been 
standing on the south bank of the River Thames in 1597. So I was part of that for about 15 years until my work was um, so saturating me from other, other parts of the world, and particularly the United States, that I flew because I love being stretched and being creative, working with extraordinary leaders of industry and leaders of the political arena. It keeps me alive and excited. Stuart, um, I've talked to a lot of authors and, and some best-selling authors, and we talk a lot about them finding their voice but that's for the written word and for narration and storytelling. What does it mean for a political leader or someone like Princess Diana to find their voice? How is it? Well, of course, different? as we all know, our voices are really at the very core of our beings. And so if our inner being is affected by pressure, by tension, by social restraint, or by nerves, our voices always share it. And so, as we know, statistically proven around the world that more people are more terrified about public speaking than they are of dying. So what I do is I go in and I make it easy for people so that they can actually access their joy, access their love, access their creativity, access their brilliance, access their genius, so that, you know, in those situations where they're demanded of to give a speech or a presentation, they don't give one small part of themselves, they give the totality of themselves. And the way that I approach this is that we each have a note, we each have a sound right at the very core of our bodies that is our note, it's unique to us, and no other human being has that note. It is our vocal identity, which of course, you know, in ancient times was, was celebrated. I mean, for example, if I, we go all the way back to the Greek-Roman period, arguably the origins of Western civilization, that they believed in the, the substance of persona, which we've annotated into the word personality. So when we talk about somebody's personality, we're really talking about their essence. Whereas actually, we go back to the Greeks and the Romans, persona literally means per through sona, sound. So in other words, they believe that sound was at the core of creation, and the way that we create ourselves, the way that we recreate ourselves, is through the harmony of sound. And that if we're sounding our note, our persona, it means that we're always reharmonizing our beings, and therefore operating through the core of our power. And as a result of that, life becomes easy in the sense of the way that we begin to engineer all of the varying principles and properties of what our lives are all about to enhance our creativity, to optimize our creativity full of love and joy. When you're so that's working, what I do. When you, people, you know, really go into the core of what their voices are all about, which is slightly different from a lot of voice, uh, voice coaches who just work on speech. And it's not that speech is unimportant, but to be honest, you know, for over 20 years, I have not been called in as a coach to work with any uh, leading individual about speech problems, you know, because it seems today with our geographical mobility, you know, we're no longer being bound by geographical boundaries and dialects or accents. If we want to, you know, if we, if we come, to, let's say, from Alabama, and we have a really pronounced Alabama accent, which is difficult to find today, much easier 50 years ago, that that person, as they go through the geographical mobility of being educated in a university, maybe somewhere on the eastern seaboard, and then going into a major city because they're an aspiring corporate individual, they listen to the way that other people sound and adopt the clarity of speech 
uh, patterns that other people use unless they're really endorsed within their own geographical area. So as we know, within the United States, there is this general movement towards um, a sort of accent we can call general American standard or American standard speech. The when you're coaching um, someone about speech or accents, that's very different than coaching someone about their natural voice. How much of that coaching becomes about confidence and and thinking about what you want to say? Yeah, I mean that's really the essence of what I was just sharing, isn't yeah. it? Because if we're feeling a lack of confidence then our voices always show that we're frightened or nervous or ill at ease or simply lacking in confidence. Um, <clears throat> and obviously what that does is to switch the audience off rather than to tune them into the vibrancy and the importance of what we're, we're sharing. And so the first thing for me is to work on how the individual is feeling about themselves in the world and about the job that they're fulfilling, the speech that they're making, the potential nature of the audience that they're going to be sharing with. All of these values are really, really significant. And then when we've begun to look into you know, really organizing the negative critic, so the neg negative critic stays over there because we all have a negative critic, and then tune into the positive life coach, then I can begin to start working on breath because we can't make a sound unless we're breathing. It is the very force of our lives. You know, the very first thing that we did as, as babes as we shot out of our mother's birth canals was to take a big breath in. And indeed, the last thing that we do in life is to breathe out. And then we go through an experience which apparently is called death. In between, it seems most people ignore their breath. And actually, it's the very force of life. So if we're feeling you know, timid or ill at ease or tense or frightened, we close off our breath. If we're feeling easy and relaxed and powerful and full of gravitas, then we open up to our breath. So that's the next stage that I go to. And as soon as we get breath flowing very freely through our bodies, uh, automatically you see our voices just drop into the very center of their beings, you know. I mean, you can hear the sort of sound that I'm using, which I guess is an embodiment of what I'm really describing. Whereas, as we know, in the Western world, what tends to happen, for example, in the United States of America, increasingly, what we hear is that. You know what I'm saying? So everything goes right up there like that. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. This is a way of being able to function. But it's a very different sound from if I suddenly go here and automatically begin to share on a much deeper level the texture of what my life is all about. And I think a lot of people don't don't know what they sound like. Stuart, um, I, 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 I'm fascinated by this, and I want to talk about the differences between coaching Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana, but I have to take a break here. Can you stand by for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure, sure, sure. All right. My, my guest is Stuart Pierce. He's the author of a new book called Diana, the Voice of Change, which is uh, a very timely uh, book, given uh, some of the things that have been in the news recently. And we'll talk about that and more with Stuart after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Hello, as well. Hello everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with uh, one of the world's most esteemed masters of voice and the author of a, uh, a new book called Diana, the Voice of Change, uh, which describes his uh, relationship as a secret voice coach for Princess Diana in the two years preceding her death. His name is Stuart Pierce, and he joins me by phone. Stuart, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, Tom, and that's fantastic, me tuning into the U.S. vibe. Uh, I, love, I love the way that the senator is really um, talking about the appealing nature of your, of your radio show. So, good to meet you. Um, Stuart, I mentioned just before the break, and, and I'm very curious about this, um, was, how was Diana to work with versus working with Margaret Thatcher? Looking in from the outside, they seem like two very, very different people. Oh, vastly different. Although, actually, what was interesting about Margaret, and of course I was dealing with the very early stages of her career as a politician, well, maybe not early stages of her career as a politician, but certainly the early stages of her life as Britain's first female prime minister. This was 1980-81. And, you know, what what we see through Margaret is that she was immensely self-motivated. She was highly courageous in public. Um, she had, I would describe, a genius of a mental body. She, w- she had a photographic memory, so she could read a document and then go into the House of Commons in the middle of a steamy debate and produce ipso facto details from this document with numbers. You know, she was a, she was a keen scientist. Um, so there was all of this, you know, really powerful intellectual force and the will that we saw, which then became the iron will that helped to change the course of British history. Because at that time, when the Conservative Party, rather like the Republican Party, came into office, that uh, Britain was actually on the, on the brink of a general strike. All the unions were up in arms about the unfairness that had taken place under, needless to say, a, a Labour Party government, meaning a socialist go- a government. Um, and she needed to step in and organize the country, and that's something that she did. So there was this very powerful um, quality of oration that arose out of uh, Margaret that led her to lead the country eventually into the Falklands War, etc., etc. The rest is written in the Chronicles of History. Whereas Diana was of the interior plane. Diana was immensely intuitive and empathic. I mean, her level of sensitivity was so fine and intricate that it was very difficult for her to be in the rather robust intellectual debate of what took place around her, whether it be within the, you know, the inner workings of the, of the royal family or indeed being what she became, this vast public personage that was being sought after (laughs) all around the world, and particularly, of course, as we know, in the United States. Diana had a very, very close relationship with a number of leading Americans and loved being in the major cities of New York, Boston, Chicago, and Los Angeles, where she was really supported and fated by um, so many of the, the wonderful citizens of those cities. So it's a question of helping Diana to corral 
what was taking place within her because she came to me at a very unique time in her royal career when she was really beginning to see a way of living the liberation that she always wanted to live, but of course without the man that she loved next to her, which was Prince Charles. Um, because she recognized very fully that she could no longer go on with the deceit of the relationship that he was having with Camilla Parker Bowles, that he was firstly in love with Camilla, and secondly with Diana as his wife. And so as a voice of change and as a voice of liberation, as a voice of Diana the Huntress, the great goddess, she strove to, um, sometimes in impetuous ways, to release herself from the treachery that she perceived, and as a result... Uh, develop this really powerful presence in the world, which, of course, as we saw, was based on totally different values from those that Margaret inhabited. Diana's values were really based on empathy and consideration, immediacy, authenticity, and compassionate love with all the people that she was in connection with. And during those last two years, as we saw, once she had divorced Charles, she was really beginning to develop this wonderful humanitarian or egalitarian as a peace envoy, this wonderful role that she was beginning to expand within the world and doing extraordinary things which had immediate impact, like, for example, on the second occasion when she walked through that Angolan landmine field, that 122 governments around the world immediately started to institute new policy about backing the absurdity of having landmines post-war ship or, you know, whatever the degrees were within their policy making. So there, in, in a sense, are the two essential dif differences. And, um, and you know, perhaps you have other questions you'd like to ask. I could go on and on because I'm very excited about the nature of the book coming out, and particularly in the United States. Well, I was, I was going to uh, share a story um, about uh, Margaret Thatcher that was told to me by Michael Davis, who is uh, a well-known, or, or was at the time, a well-known juggler and the entertainer he was a comedy writer and did a lot of things but he had performed at the white house for margaret thatcher and a number of other world leaders uh, when ronald reagan was president ronald reagan had invited him in and he used to do this thing where he he juggled a bowling ball and a chainsaw and a chicken wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah it <clears throat> I love to see. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Stuart, it was something to see, which is um, which is why. Uh, oh, um, and and at the time, and his uh, Gorbachev was not there. So, flash mm -hmm. forward, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush is president, and he invites mm -hmm. Michael Davis back to a similar reception. Um, Margaret Thatcher is there, and now. Um, and and now Russia is represented at this one. Gorbachev is there, and and the president asks Michael to do the same routine, so he does. And <laughs> Margaret Thatcher comes up to him after his uh, show and says, "I really enjoyed it, seeing this again. It's it's important that if you do something well, just keep doing it." <laughs> he felt like he'd been slammed a little bit and and now i'm going to shift go gears and and tell you the uh the diana story i don't know if you know darren mcgrady but he was uh diana's chef after she yeah, yeah left yeah, the yeah. palace 
and he tells the funniest story about Diana coming into him and saying, you know, Chef Darren, um, I'm going to take the boys and we're going to go to McDonald's. And he says, oh, Princess, I I can make the boys a hamburger. And she says, it's for the toys. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cool. That is typical of Diana. And I love love that story. Um, Did you know, Stuart, when you were writing this book, well, I don't know how you could have known, but did you have any idea that so much attention was going to be placed on the royal family in conjunction with the release of this book? Not in the slightest. You know, um, it's interesting in your description, you referred to my relationship with Diana as being secret. I like to think of it as being confidential. In other words, you you, you know... Well, I have a a press release in front of me, Stuart, where someone said, uh, um, secret voice coach of Princess Diana. (laughs) A member of the U.S. press, yes. So they turned confidential into secret. Yeah. I suppose secret. And I apologize for that, by the way. Sexy spiciness about it. I just wanted to, I mean, you know, no criticism of you. I just wanted to make that because it's a subtle, it's a subtle degree, isn't it? That something is secret, something is confidential. And it was to do with the fact that Diana was obviously at a very immensely sensitive time. I mean, this is just right after the Martin Bashir interview where she's told the whole world, you know, something like 38 million people. Uh, that were that listened to the broadcast from the BBC, that there were three people in in her marriage, and um, and then went on to elicit other extraordinary home truths about what she'd experienced being a royal personage, just as Meghan also experienced similar difficulties in trying to maneuver through the men in grey suits to understand that she was being vilified and regaled in the most negative way by British press. Anyway, so there is a corollary. But at that time, you know, there was a, there was a great sensitivity about her finding her freedom, but also is being as delicate about it as possible because she was being hounded by the paparazzi. So when I was approached, I met her through a lunch party of somebody who had been a great supporter of mine, and it introduced me to a number of very extraordinary world figures that I'd worked with, whom I developed a very confidential relationship with through an NDA, you know, and also for them to understand that they can be to me, um, you know, I can be their father confessor, so to speak. In other words, that they need, they know that I have an integrity which is not going to explore the innermost secrets of what they would like to share with me, because we're all human, <laughs> even if we're very famous celebrities, you know this, Tom, we're all human, and so we all have those inner voices or those shadow complexes that we like to um, begin to understand and be transparent about ourselves, but aren't necessarily necessary for public broadcast. Yeah, even, and so even, the understanding, little, even the little princes like the toys from McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's a big broadcast, is it? You know, I mean, we're all. One of my stories about Diana was that whenever she arrived, I never went to Buckingham, uh, to Kensington Palace. She always came to me, which was not far away from where Kensington Palace was 
in an area of London called Chelsea. But she always came to me because it was a question of her stepping out of the confinement of what that role was all about and just literally taking her, her trainers off and just putting her feet up on a sofa. And the first thing that she would say to me was, oh, do you have any, do you have any I can wash up? You know, because she just wanted to go into the kitchen and get grounded by doing some washing up rather than constantly being hounded by, um, you know, what many people would consider to be a great privilege. Um, and and so, so did she. She wasn't devaluing the people who were serving her. It's just that she was a very ordinary lady who loved to be really earthed and grounded and doing the washing up or... Can I press your shirt, Stuart? Can I iron your shirt? She would often say. <laughs> and I would say, uh, thank you so much, darling. But I'm, I think, um, I think we'd, we'd just wash the cups and saucers up, shall we? <laughs> we'll leave pressing my shirts to somebody else. Well, we saw the we we saw that interview um, kind of resurrected recently, um, and there's been a lot of attention on. Uh, the royal family over the last several weeks uh, with interviews with with both William and Harry and you mentioned Megan uh, the passing of Prince Philip there's there's just been a lot in the news did any of that impact you with this with this book coming out did you have any thoughts about whether there were revisions to be made um, no, not within the book itself, because the book is for the women of the world and the men of the world, helping them to see ways of being able to use the model of empowerment, gotcha. the model of enlightenment that Diana and I created for her, for the women of the world. You know, seeing that she was one of the most iconic women, I mean, the most photographed woman in recorded history, and iconically represented around the world, the whole of the, of the whole of the globe, as this peacemaker. But what I saw was that this would be a really useful vessel to help the women of the world. This is not about my own personal gain. So I didn't know that all of this stuff was going to happen when I started writing the book four years ago. It's extraordinary that I'm seeing it. Of course, I knew it was Diana's 60th birthday, but we didn't know that Harry was going to meet that was going to marry Meghan four years ago. Um, you know, he, he began courting her about three years ago. And we didn't see that there was going to be the, what do we call it, the brouhaha that's taken place because the British press decided that they would project their own spleen onto the couple um, in the most horrendous fashion. We didn't see that there would be a break away from... Um, but, you know, from their royal duties as senior members of the world, of the royal family. Um, I, I believe that if Diana were alive, she would be in complete celebration of the liberation that they've chosen and that they can actually live lives of immense creative expansion and, uh, and creative abundance, really serving in all the varying charitable endeavors that they embark on in the United States much more than they could in Europe. So by, by nature of this, because they are who they are, meaning they're not just celebrities, but they're, they're social icons, aren't they? So they're social ciphers by which we can actually read the spirit of the times. They bring about huge amounts of change, as we see with Harry's work in relation to Oprah. But what we're seeing is that they're both creating this vast campaign about the fact that we all need to wake up to the fact that mental health issues do not need to be stigmatized. We all have 
stress problems. It's going to be interesting to see what happens as we come out of COVID, which we're evidently beginning to do because of the vast vaccination process that's taking place around the world. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really fascinating that my book comes at this time. Therefore, meeting Tom, thank you for <laughs> inviting me onto your show. I'm giving interviews all the time in a way that, uh, for example, I, I didn't at the beginning of this year with the British press. I, uh, I give at least two or three, maybe sometimes four interviews a day and have been doing so for the last month in preparation for the book coming out. It seems to me, therefore, that whatever I have to say or whatever I've written has some form of impact on the psyche, on the collective consciousness of you wonderful United States American citizens. Well, and the book is uh, set to publish on June 15th. It officially comes Next out. Week. But I would imagine, uh, Stuart, that, that uh, pre-orders are possible and, and it's available and will be available where all fine books are sold. Absolutely. I mean, it's already available on Amazon because we made sure that it was there. And it's an international bestseller, as you can imagine. And there, it's in three forms. You know, it's in the, the print form, it's in Kindle, and all, obviously I made an audio of the book as well. So people can hear my voice reading the book. I, I think that's great when people do their own read of the book. And, and I was going to ask you if you did the audio, because um, so many times that's a big part of the process is selecting the right person and the right voice. To, to do the book. Yeah, and I mean, you know, from my, my, <laughs> my particular angle, because I write books about the voice, and here I have my, you know, fourth book about the voice, and it's about Diana's voice, the voice of change, it would be somewhat absurd or ironic if I had somebody else <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. record it. Um, um, because, Stuart... um, you know, the book, the book is the development of a project that I want to, you know, com continue amplifying, which will be about, it will probably be called the Diana Heart Path, where with the women of the world, the women in the United States, can actually move into either online or when we get back to face-to-face -face workshops or seminars where they can explore the substance of co-creativity and, and communion and constructive um, created processes that Diana used to empower herself. So as the women of the world become aroused, you know, as it says, there's a wonderful Japanese proverb that says, when the women's, when the women's voices are aroused, the mountains move. How long do, of a project is it when you work with someone like Diana or Margaret Thatcher? Um, how much time do, you, do they have to put in with you to achieve a certain level? Well, it, it varies on the needs of the individual. So there, sure. there is no composite model. With Margaret, she was a fast learner. And as I explained earlier, her focus was much more about the external aspect of her communication skills, and particularly finding a voice that had weight, finding a voice that had gravity. Because she, she had quite a light, middle-class voice that sounded a little bit like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was it was seemed to be slightly shrewish. And what she wanted to do was to really open the whole of the resonance of her voice out so that her voice took on a power and a gravitas uh, and therefore a voice of authority within the House of Commons, organizing all of the policies that she needed to organize. Now, I mean, she was a fast learner. 
And incidentally, one of the most gracious people that I've ever had the charm and the honor of working with. She was kind and considerate and always deeply caring, which was completely counterpoised with the nature of her being the Iron Lady. I, I saw her as being one of the most generous and caring people that I've ever had the joy and the honor of, of being with. So it was very easy with dear Margaret. Um, and I guess that our relationship, with our relationship, we became, um, we, you know, we, we set up an alliance. So I saw her periodically over the years. But initially, I suppose I worked with her on and off for a period of about four months as she began her premiership. But with Diana, because of the sensitivity of Diana from a psychophysical point of view, it was, it was very much that I became a confidant to the whole of her process, which went on from approximately end of October, November 1995, all the way through to July 1997, when she came to me just before going off on holiday with Dodie, which, of course, as we know, became an horrific tragedy. We just have a couple of minutes left, Stuart, and I'm, I'm having such a wonderful time talking with you. I feel like we could talk for hours, but I, I do want to ask for people who can can read the book, Diana, The Voice of Change, can can they pull something out of that and, and find their way to their own voice, or is it really important for people to work with a coach? Oh, no, 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 no. All of the exercises are completely hands-on. You know, they're really simple. And, of course, you know, if you have the audio of the book, then you have my voice taking, you know, taking you through the exercises, taking you through the, um, the, the meditations, taking you through the affirmations that Diana... No, no, they're very, very, very simple and very hands-on. And, you know, if I may, the simplest thing for people to do would be to go to www.dianathevoiceofchange.com. And there is a website which explores all of the varying details of who she was and what the book is about and how people can get in contact with me. Well, you beat me to the punch there, Stuart, because I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and uh, your work, past, present, and future. Um, Stuart, I, I want to thank you for spending this time with me this morning. It's, it's been an absolute, uh, an absolute delight. Tom, you're a gentleman. It's been such fun. I've really enjoyed the vibe of being with you. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for inviting me onto your show. And and perhaps we can do it again sometime. Do you, um, because of the people that you work with, do you form um, impressions and, and observations about the things that are going on uh, in the UK and around the world? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm working with some of the, you know, the brilliant, lead, the up-and-coming brilliant leaders of both U.S. and U.K., um, more in the U.S., actually, interestingly, although at the moment, of course, I'm in London because of COVID, otherwise I'd sure. be in New York City. Um, you know, that I, uh, yeah, I'm abreast of some very interesting shifts of consciousness. Well, we hopefully, hopefully we, can, uh, we can get together and talk some more. That would be great. Well, wonderful. Have a great day. You too, Stuart. Thank you so much. Yeah, blessings. Again, that was Stuart Pierce. He is the author of a new book called Diana, the Voice of Change, uh, talking about uh, how he helped Princess Diana find her authentic self in, in uh, the two years before 
her tragic death. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and talk about uh, opportunities for um, down payment assistance from Mishta and lots more on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, we're going to talk about a new program from the Michigan State Housing Development Authority, which is uh, designed to help people with down payment, which historically, for new homeowners, has been a stumbling block to home ownership. And to talk about that from MISHTA is uh, the director of MISHTA's Home Ownership Division, Mary Townley, who joins me by phone. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to join you today. Um, Mary, just just to put this in context a little bit, um, I remember back, oh, it's been almost 15 years now, but the the housing bubble in uh, 2008-ish. And I remember thinking after all of the problems that arose out of that, that I really didn't want to be a homeowner anymore. I'd just rent <laughs> so I wouldn't get stuck yeah. upside down in a house. Um what has changed about that? You know, I, I, what we believe happened after that housing crisis is many individuals did exactly what you said. You know, they decided to rent. You know, there was a fear of, of being a homeowner looking back at what happened in 2008, 2009. But after, um, you know, that settled down, things got back on track. Um, you know, the millennials in, in that age group are now rethinking that, uh, you know, rents are, are high and they possibly could get into a home at less monthly expense than they would if they rented. So that's, you know, one of the reasons that we're looking at expanding our programs to um, attract those individuals. Um, many Mary- of them are gainfully employed. Um, you know, they've got the income. They just are, are struggling with that down payment. And that's the down payment part is, is not a new problem. It, it's always been a hindrance. I remember decades ago, because I'm kind of old, Mary. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember the notion of people saving for years to come up with a down payment for a house. Um, has something changed about uh, people wanting to be homeowners? And, and I guess what I'm getting at here is, has the pandemic and people spending a lot more time at home changed how people feel about where they live and, and has them thinking more about owning a home, maybe getting more space? You know, I think the pandemic definitely uh, proved to people that they need to have um, uh, ample uh, living space, um, you know, for their homes to expand into dens and, and offices and, and family rooms and things like that. And classrooms. I don't. Pardon? And classrooms. 
and classrooms, that's right, for children that are remotely learning. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily um, the, the concern that we had. What we did focus on was, you know, we were not focusing in certain uh, geographic locations for equitable housing for the underserved populations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we do a mass marketing campaign for everyone, but we're not touching the areas that we really need to touch. And that's how we came up with our 236 zip codes that are focused uh, primarily for this 10,000 DPA. You know, we, we do a fairly good job at attracting first-time home buyers. But we just needed to do a little bit deeper dive into those underserved populations. I wondered how long it was going to be, Mary, before you used an acronym. Um, (laughs) The Michigan 10K DPA, basically what that means is this new program from the Michigan State Housing Development Authority, or MISHTA, is offering $10,000 down payment assistance Um. And and those funds don't have to be repaid until the mortgage is paid off or the home buyer sells that home, right? That is correct. Yeah, the 10000 can be used for closing costs, uh, prepaids, and then some of the down payment. Um, in, uh, the 236 zip codes also promote, um, uh, you know, housing stock that people are interested in. Um, and it will give them just a little bit extra boost for that down payment when before they were struggling with that. Are, are lenders, um, mortgage lenders and banks and so on, are, are they getting a little less stringent about down payments, or is that still um, just an insurmountable hurdle for some people? I think it's an insurmountable hurdle. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, they're gainfully employed. They have the adequate income source to buy a home. It's just that down payment is tough uh, when you've got student loans and a car loan and you're paying rent. So this is just an extra boost for those individuals. Well, it's it's a lot of money to come up with all at once. Uh, you know, a lot of economists will you know, suggest yeah. that people are really, you know, one $400 emergency from having <laughs> their whole world collapse. Um, Correct. And, and so that, that makes it tough because down payments uh, can be what? Well, if, if you're offering $10,000 assistance, it's got to be somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. Well, the other thing I want to... Um bring to the attention of the listeners is with our down payment programs that we offer, we require the, the potential buyers to take a home buyer education class. And in that class, they learn all about home buying, uh, you know, what's involved with being a homeowner, uh, what's going to happen through the process, what are all these forms that they're signing at the closing table. And then it also creates a connection with that uh, buyer to a housing educator in their uh, geographic area for in the future if they ever have another need um, with counseling they, they already have a relationship 
So it's, you know, it's proven fact that individuals that go through homebuyer education are much more successful homeowners than someone that does not go through that education. And now, I don't know if I'd call this a disclaimer or not, but I was reading that the program really focuses on uh, certain zip codes across the state. And, and there, there are several in Genesee County where this show is based. Um, but um, what is the criteria for people to qualify for this assistance? So no, number one is your the purchase location has to be in one of the zip codes. If it is not, we still have a down payment program out there, but it's only 7500 The other qualifiers are that you would need to go to a MISHTA-approved lender. Um, on our website is a complete list of lenders by county. So you would go out, select a lender of your choice, um, meet with them. They would take your application, and then your qualifications follow our standard mortgage loan programs. You know, whether it be a uh, conventional program or a FHA uh, transaction. But the lender is uh, well-versed on all of our product offerings. Uh, they will determine what's the best fit for that buyer. Uh, once the loan is uh, originated with that lender and processed, then that loan comes to us. You know, we determine that they meet our eligibility guidelines and then you know, of course, hopefully every one of those buyers gets to a closing table uh, to purchase a home. More about down payment assistance with Mary Townley from Mishta. Straight ahead. I have to lay low for a while. I'll be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side Arms open wide. 
Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs>